Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today we're going to be talking about a very serious issue that is impacting so many people in the country, and it's the need for organ donors. There's over 100,000 people who are waiting for a kidney transplant in this country. And today um, I'm really excited because we're going to be talking to Josh Morrison. He's a living donor, and he created an organization called Wait Zero. So uh, welcome to the program, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit why you decided to become a living donor um, for somebody who needed a kidney. Yeah, so um, I actually gave a kidney uh, to someone I didn't know before um, I gave it to him. So we met about three months after um, and become friends since. Uh, but when I donated, it was it was more kind of out of principle and the things that I wanted to accomplish in my life than, than anything else. I uh, read an article about four years before I donated uh, about a woman who had needed a transplant and uh, ended up receiving one. And it really, it just really hit a chord for me. Um, both, I, I think there's two reasons. First, you know, it said that basically, uh, you know, if you, you donate your kidney, you can save someone's life. And, you know, the long-term risks to you were, were kind of minimal by comparison to that. Um, and, and that sounded, sounded great to me. I had, um, uh, jaw surgery when I was younger, and so surgery, you know, wasn't kind of totally novel to me, and I knew that I could sort of handle that part of it. Um, and the other piece of it, you know, really struck me about her story was, um, you know, that she asked, or that four different people told her they would donate, uh, and then backed out. And that kind of, um, you know, that, that need to ask for something so important just really, really touched me. And, you know, it took another few years after that before I decided to actually donate. Um, but, you know, when I, when I finally decided to, you know, I thought I've been really lucky in life. Um, I, you know, my, my, came from a really loving and, and supportive family, been, you know, lucky in, in school in my career. And I really felt like I, I needed to, to give back. And, um, that was sort of the, the biggest reason for me donating. Can I ask you, Josh, how old are you? Because you sound very young. <laughs> um, I'm 29. Okay. Because, I mean, you know, being 29 years old and, you know, having that perspective, because I myself, you know, needed an, a, a kidney transplant and the process of going a, around letting people know that you need a gift of life. And, you know, you have different reactions from people. And, you know, it's devastating to hear like, yeah, I'll donate, but they never send in the paperwork. And it makes you feel like, you know, maybe you're not important to that person. Um, it, there's a lot of a uh, myriad of emotions that can impact you when you're waiting. So to just to think that you understood that is, is pretty amazing. I mean, you know, you just very thoughtful guy. Uh, are you studying philosophy by chance? Oh, um, at the time, you know, it's funny. I never, you know, majored in philosophy or anything like that. But, um, but it was always, in, you know, I majored in political science, which is kind of relevant to the advocacy work uh, I do now. But it was always something I was interested in. Um, you know, that was, I'm a lawyer, that was my first year of law school that I read, um, that piece. Um, but, but I was always, you know, it's always been very, I'm kind of a, a nerdy kind of guy. And so the idea of, um, 
of being really kind of rational about things and, and letting, you know, sort of moral philosophy kind of guide my, um, my choices in, in a lot of ways um, is kind of important to me um, and is something that, that probably played a role in deciding to donate. Because in some level, for me, it was kind of like, well, you know, your principles kind of say you should do this. Um, you should kind of, you know, walk the, you know, back, back up your, your talk with, with action. Um, so, I guess, so there definitely was a sort of, you know, uh, academic interest in philosophy that played a role in it. You're very insightful. Well, tell me a little bit about the process of, you know, you decided to donate. Then what did you do? I decided to donate uh, kind of originally, I guess it would have been in maybe winter or summer of 2010. Um, or I kind of thought I wanted to, but I was actually married at the time. Um, and my the first part of the process is, you know, you have to tell your, your family uh, and they're usually not, at least if you're, if you're a non-directed donor, which I know is, you know, less typical. But in that case, you know, it's, it's, um, they're usually not so thrilled with it. And, you know, uh, eventually I decided, you know, my, my wife was very against it. And I decided, okay, well, I'm not going to donate because, you know, because, you know she has an important role in the decision. Um, and then so for unrelated reasons, we ended up splitting up. And then, you know, after a reasonable amount of time had passed, I kind of decided, okay, this is something I've been wanting to do for a while. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then what I did was, um, there's probably more rational ways of, of doing it than what I did. But, you know, when I had my physical, I told my doctor, you know, this is something I wanted to do. I'd, I'd researched it a lot, so I kind of knew more about the health risks than, than she did, not that she was underinformed or anything. Um, and she said, well, you know, there's a transplant center uh, we work with. There's, you know, that the, our kind of network. Uh, we can refer you to that. And so I, I went to that. That was around, um, I'd say, April of 2011. And I knew that I wanted to donate in about six months. I knew that I wanted to donate sort of over the holidays or, you know, around Thanksgiving um, of 2011. And so I kind of told them that. Um, I donated at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. I had a great experience there. Um, and there's about, I would say, four or five appointments um, to do testing and, and things like that. Um, there was a psychological test to make sure I was fit to donate. I had to um, put all of my, I had to collect my urine for, for a day, um, which is a day that I had a, a date on, so that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, Did that come up as a date by chance? Like, oh, I'm going to donate a kidney, so I have this 24-hour urine. Oh, I mean, you don't have to carry it with you. It's not like you have a bag. Yeah, That's what I yeah, think I of as it, a transplant yeah, patient. I was thinking that I left it in the – I think she – I remember she knew that I was planning to donate. I left it in the car in like a, in like a messenger bag or something. Um, and didn't, you know, <laughs> it didn't really... And yeah. didn't drink a lot, right, at the date? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then, so the, the sort of final parts of the process were, um, I wanted to start a chain, um, but unfortunately, so I was going to start a chain about five or six people, but unfortunately that felt through, um, which I didn't realize how likely that was, um, mm-hmm. but especially at the time and with that network, which has since been disbanded, um, that was kind of likely. And, um, and I had already kind of gotten off of all my projects at work. And so I decided, well, I'll just donate to the, the top person sort of on the list. Um, uh, so I had, so then they started surgery date. Um, the date I think was December 5th, if I remember right. 
And um, a couple of days before that, actually, um, I my transplant center and called and said, oh, your donor's actually sick, it's no big deal, uh, or your recipient's actually sick, it's no big deal, but uh, the surgery has to wait a week. Um, so I ended up, I think, having the surgery, I think it was December 12th, although I'm embarrassed, I don't remember it, the exact date right now. And um, after that, I mean, the um, the surgery itself, I think, was pretty uneventful. It went, you know, I think a, a little bit longer than usual. Um, it took a, you know, we, I got there maybe 10 in the morning for 2 o'clock uh, time, and we probably got started around 3 or 4. You were hungry, right, by that time, because you're on um, no food. Yeah, because you can't eat anything during the day. But, um, and then uh, the next day, um, so, I mean, I woke up that night. I was obviously on painkillers. I was pretty, you know, I was lucid enough to talk to um, a friend of mine who was in law school about his exams. I was kind of proud of myself to be able to make, like, intelligent comments about, about his exams. And then I actually um, got out of the hospital uh, the next day, less than 24 hours after my surgery, uh, which is a little bit unusual. Usually you spend, you spend about two nights in the hospital. Um, and I think for me it was a bit of a mistake. It probably, the first night back was, was kind of difficult. But after that, the recovery was, was pretty straightforward. It was pretty enjoyable. I mostly, um, you know, sat on the couch and, and watched, uh, like nature documentaries, um, for, for about that first week. And, um, and then I think it was only on pain, prescription painkillers for, I think, less than a week, uh, after the surgery. Um, and then after that, it was just Tylenol and, and things like that. Um, and my energy was mostly back in about mm, two, three weeks after. So can you tell us anything about the person you donated to? Um, yeah, so his, we met about three months after um, I donated. His name is John. Um, we both, you know, live in, live in Boston, or at the time we both lived in Boston. And um, John had been on dialysis for, I think, eight years, um, which was, was very difficult and, and created some health problems that persisted um, for about a year even after the transplant. Um, before he was on um, dialysis, he was a club promoter and, and actually a semi-pro athlete. So dialysis was very, very difficult for him. And like a lot of people, he never asked anyone um, to donate. And it was kind of heart-wrenching kind of hearing his story. And John, I mean, I, I really like John a lot. We get along really well. Um, he's a really kind of charming, eloquent, kind of charismatic guy. Um, and we, we see each other uh, three times a year and, and talk a bit more than that. He's a big Peyton Manning and, and Broncos fan, and I'm a big Patriots fan. So that's always kind of fun around this time of year. Um, <laughs> well, he should change a little bit since he's got your kidney, right? I mean, isn't that true? Like some of your habits become his habits. I'm, I'm just oh, <laughs> oh, I wish that would be that would be something. Is uh, if he if he became a, a, a Patriots fan, that that definitely has not rubbed off. Oh, that hasn't rubbed off. Well, you didn't know anything about the person that you donated to until after the surgery. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You're going into surgery to donate a kidney so that. You know, you're just making the world a better place and making saving somebody's life. I mean, that's truly amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about the Weight Zero organization that you started? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Weightless Zero um, is an organization dedicated to increasing living kidney donation. And basically, um, what we want to do is uh, make it easy for patients to act for a transplant and easy and attractive for donors to do. 
Um, and that means, you know, we, a lot of what we do is policy advocacy mm-hmm. uh, and trying to change government policy to support living donations. Uh, and we also try to um, raise awareness um, about kidney donors and kidney donor experiences and connect um, um, people to transplant through religious congregations, to, to use religious congregations as a source of support uh, for people when they have kidney disease and kidney failure um, and as they kind of navigate that process. And we're a very new organization. Uh, we were founded, uh, I think, five months ago now um, with a planning grant from a, a foundation called Good Ventures, started by one of the founders of Facebook. And, um, you know, it's been a really, really exciting experience so far, um, and things have been, been going really well. Uh, Wait Zero leads the coalition to promote living kidney donation. And can you explain a little bit about what that is? Because, you know... Uh, you're a lawyer. Um, I'm very involved in public policy, and it really comes down to what are our policies that could help people donate, and some of them aren't favorable to people who want to donate. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So, um, Weightless Zero um, and the Coalition to Promote. Well, so yeah, this, our first campaign, um, both as an organization, Weightless Zero, and uh, as a the coalition of groups we brought together. Um, is to persuade uh, this federal agency called the Health Resources and Services Administration, or HRSA, to support living kidney donation. Now, HRSA is the agency responsible for organ donation in the United States, so they uh, run the contract with UNOS to manage the wait list. Um, they help do uh, collect data about kidney disease through something called the SRTR contract. Uh, but in the past, HRSA has been sometimes uncomfortable with directly promoting living kidney donation. So specifically, there's really two things we, we, we're asking them to, to do. The first is um, to provide grants to living kidney donation increasing projects. So right now, each year, there's about $7 million in their budget uh, for grants to increase solid organ donation. And the statute actually even says, including living kidney donation, but in the past, um, they have not, they've explicitly excluded living donation from those grants, and we want them to stop doing that. And the second thing we want from them is to include living donation goals in their annual performance report. That is, each year, uh, they sort of um, put out a document that kind of says, well, here's what our goals were for the past year, here's how we did. And all of their goals are deceased donation goals. So obviously, and we want them to be living donation goals. Obviously, the future donation is extremely important, um, and we really value it. Uh, but we think living donation is important as well. Let's talk a little bit about grants for living donation, because um, my living donor, um, basically, my insurance pays for all of the surgery and all of the elements due to, you know, having a transplant. So can you talk about what the grants would be used for? Would that be for, like, perhaps time off of work or expenses that, you know, people who are living donors, you know, need to be able to have the time off to recover? What would those grants encompass? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so the, the first thing um, is patient education. You know, a lot of, I think right now we don't support patients enough in helping them find a transplant. And so first of all, there's a lot of people um, who are on dialysis eligible for a transplant who never even make it to the waiting list. That's maybe 80,000 people or so. Um, and trying to educate those people about transplant would be really helpful. But then there's also been studies that have shown that um, doing home visits 
the patients and their family who are on the waiting list to help educate them about living donation increases living donation by, by quite a lot, by more than uh, 20%. I saw that study out of Australia. I, I don't know if that was the study that came out of Australia, but it was fascinating. If somebody is diagnosed with kidney disease, if you go home and talk to them, kind of like a Tupperware kidney party, I don't, you know, you know I'm trying to give an mm-hmm. example here, and educate the people about kidney disease and the diet and different aspects of it, sometimes one of the family members will... Uh, decide to donate because they're becoming educated and it's they, they don't think about the home environment they think about oh you know have the people come to the clinic come to the, and it doesn't work that way people learn better in an environment where they're comfortable exactly exactly and and part of it and you know one of our real philosophies about this um, you know is it involves I think right now current policy treats a tran- a living donor transplant as something that's just between the recipient and the person who donates. But really, it's, it's something about the whole community um, and supporting that, and there's sort of whole social network and kind of supporting that patient, so that, you know, educating their whole family about it and letting kind of everyone know about it, um, that makes it a lot easier, um, both to the donor and the recipient, to kind of understand. So so what those pieces of patient education? Um, but like you mentioned, paying donor expenses uh, is also really important. So right now, um, the average donor um, probably loses about a month's worth of lost wages and travel and things like that um, in order to donate. And a lot of people don't have a month's worth of, of wages to, to give up, even if they do want to donate a kidney. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily the case that the grants are, you know, always going to cover that, but kind of demonstrating the, the powerful effects that, that doing so would have on... Uh, increasing donation, I think will will help get us to a point where we can have a policy that covers lost wages uh, for all kidney donors. It makes sense because, you know, to keep somebody on dialysis costs a lot more money than to transplant them. I mean, that has been shown um, over and over again. I mean, right now, I think there's going to be a new bill introduced about the immunosuppressant drug, the lifetime immunosuppressant drug that the kidney community has been fighting forever. Well, well, um, maybe wrap up a little bit about your organization, what we can find on uh, on your website, and if people want to get involved, what do they do? Uh, yes, great. So um, our organization is called uh, Waitlist Zero. Uh, our website is uh, www.waitlistzero.org, um, or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash waitlistzero. Uh, if you want to get involved, um, go to our website, and there should be a place to um, sign up and, and sort of register your interest. The other thing you can do, uh, and we'd love you to follow us on Facebook, uh, the other thing you can do is to sign our uh, change.org petition, which has almost 5,000 signatures uh, after starting a month ago, uh, for our HRSA campaign. And we really need sort of all the the help we can get um, in order to to really demonstrate public support for living donation and persuade HRSA um, to to support living donation really full-throatedly so that we can get all these great policies to increase living donation and really support uh, transplant patients and, and donors. Well, I think you are such an amazing person, Josh. I I can't wait to meet you someday and to think at 29 years old, you decided to step out of your life for just a few days, a few weeks, and give the gift of life to somebody who was in great need. 
And it's, it's, it's truly an honor to speak to you. And I wish you much success in Waitlist Zero. I will sign your petition. I suggest everybody who listens to sign the petition and get everybody involved because we can really impact people who need a, an organ by helping people understand that living donation is an option for many people and they should decide if they want to do it or not. So um, I, I commend you. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.